This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 30, our preview episode for the International Liver Congress 2022. This conversation centers around two papers at the conference. The first, OS 97, titled Machine Learning Algorithms Identify Novel Biomarker Combinations for NAFLD, from Jenny Lee of the Netherlands being presented Saturday morning. And the second, FRI 94, a poster from Friday, titled Clinical and Economic Evaluation of Community-Based Preventative Screening Strategies for NAFLD in People with Type 2 Diabetes from Roberta Forlano at Imperial in the UK. You weren't selected OS 97 as the first paper to discuss due to its robust data set, with 720 liver biopsy patients recruited prospectively at centers around Europe, and its intriguing task to identify the most robust biomarkers for predicting levels of steatosis, ballooning inflammation, and fibrosis independently. Within the population, 53% had NASH, 26 with advanced fibrosis, 7% with cirrhosis. The areas under curve for fibrosis were robust, 0.9 in the test group and 0.84 in the validation group, while the AUCs for the three steatosis measures were weaker, 0.7 and 0.74, respectively. Your noted that the histological markers varied between the four targets, with steatosis and ballooning predicted most strongly by BMI, inflammation by hemoglobin, and fibrosis by VCTE. After some questions, Yorn went on to note that CK18 M30 antigen emerged as a second predictor for both steatosis and fibrosis, a finding he found a bit surprising. The key question on this came from Stephen, who asked how diabetes entered this equation in terms of which diabetes metric, how severe the diabetes, and the length of disease. Yorn noted that the only diabetes metric in the set was HbA1c, which was the fifth strongest predictor for fibrosis. He commented that one of the reasons that length of disease was not in this is that it is exceptionally challenging to determine in a prospective study that relies on patient self-reports instead of electronic medical records and history. When Yorn finished, Louise Campbell responded next, selecting the poster Friday 094, a clinical and economic assessment of community-based screening of type 2 diabetes patients for fatty liver disease. This study began in Imperial while Louise still worked there, which is one of the reasons she was intrigued by it. It reported that 17% of NAFLD patients had significant fibrosis, um, which they defined as KPA of 8.1 or higher by VCTE. 11% had advanced fibrosis, and 3% had cirrhosis, which they defined as a KPA over 12.1. Any of these patients might have been defined by KPA or by clinical or by histological means, and some did have biopsies. After questions, Louise would go on to note that all these approaches were determined to be cost-effective against the metric of 20,000 pounds. Here, the questions were more important. The largest one came from Stephen, who suggested that a KPA of 12.1, which is defining cirrhosis here, would define half the patients in his practice. He used this point to remind listeners of the poor predictive value of VCTE as a single measure, particularly against fibrosis. Yorn agreed that KPA of 12.1 did not suggest a measure of cirrhosis, but that it did indicate a scale of a problem for patients with significant disease and affirmed the cost-effectiveness of a testing approach to all type 2 diabetic patients. These conversations go into depth on some of the most intriguing issues today around patient screening, classification, and treatment. Some have conclusions that will change stakeholders' perspectives about NAFLD and NASH. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Speaking of London, uh, we're there for ILC. It'll be the first time ILC has been in person since, what, 2019, I guess, right? In fact, it will be the first of the major conferences that's been in person since 2019. So this should be a real thing. Stephen Harrison. The only conference that we've had since 2019 in person consistently every year was NASHTAG. That's true. I guess CLDF could claim the same thing for Liver Connect, but they only started in 2020, so they don't have continuity going for them on that. I think that's right. The only one that's been both years and existed before that would be NASHTAG. Hats off to you guys for doing that. Format's pretty simple. We've each picked 
two or three posters or presentations that for varying reasons we think will be really interesting. And we're going to go through as many of them as we can get through in the next hour uh, with somebody, uh, whoever came up with a particular presentation, picking the one they came up with, and then talking about why you're interested in the rest of us asking questions and making comments. And we'll get through as much as we can. And, uh, and that'll be it for this week. So let me do Brave One go first. Jörn Schattenberg. Uh, I can start. So the first presentation I'd like to discuss today is oral presentation number 97 given by uh, Jenny Lee. It's data that comes out of the Litmus Consortium, actually. So the title of the oral presentation is Machine Learning Algorithms Identifying Novel Biomarker Combinations for NAFLD. For a number of reasons, I think this is a very appealing abstract. A, it's some data that was generated at a number of expert sites, prospectively. It actually detailing the meta cohort of the Litmus Consortium European NAFLD Registry. As such, you, you get a diversity of uh, centers contributing. So much more diverse than, let's say, a clinical trial that focuses on certain inclusion exclusion criteria. All patients underwent liver biopsy, so you're able to characterize them based on the little, uh, the disease activity and stage. For this poster, 720 adult patients with NAFLD were actually analyzed. 540 going to the training set, 180 to the validation set. 53% had NASH, 26% advanced fibrosis and 7% cirrhosis. The authors then went on and for each component of NASH that we're looking at, steatosis, inflammation, and ballooning, as well as fibrosis, they did a gradient boosting method GBM analysis to develop a number of classifiers and rank them and see what correlates the strongest with those histological criteria. So in the end, you come up with an expert center liver biopsy cohort, which is fairly large, 720 patients, read by expert hepatologists in the field, but outside of the clinical trials. And uh, the top findings is that they detail the characteristics for these histological features, as I said. And if you then look into table one, and they already have that in their abstract, steatosis is most strongly predicted by body mass index. Inflammation, interestingly, most strongly by hemoglobin. And uh, ballooning, they have the BMI again. And fibrosis um, here, and that's no surprise, I think VCTE comes in on place one. So it's a little different look at how we normally explore histology. They take the individual components and look at certain clinical or lab values that correlate uh, with them. It's a nice way to add to the granularity to see what the, what is actually happening in these scores where we ask about NASH and advanced fibrosis, but the different components to what extent are they actually correlating with some of the features that are being practiced. Bjorn, did Jenny mention anything about diabetes relative to fibrosis or ballooning? And not only just the presence or absence of diabetes, but the longevity of it and then the control of the diabetic. So I know there's been a little bit of debate about both how long you've had diabetes and whether that links to severity of disease, as well as the severity of the diabetes linking to the severity of disease. In other words, an HbA1c of 10 might give you worse disease than an HbA1c of 6. And while that's still being sorted out, this would be a great data set to analyze that. And having not apprised myself of the abstract, I don't know if that was looked at, but I didn't hear you comment on diabetes. Yeah, good point, uh, Stephen. And um, um, so diabetes is in the uh, equation, actually, as the fifth component uh, to predict or be associated with fibrosis. So A1C here, to be more concrete, is part of what the GBM identified uh, to be associated with fibrosis. Now, interestingly, it's not in the top five for steatosis, inflammation, or ballooning, where I would have also 
expected it for the presence of NASH, but it, it comes up in fibrosis. The length of diabetes is a little difficult, I think. We've tried to look in that and also for our data set. And while the patients can normally tell you when they went on drugs, that might undercapture the reality of the diabetes duration or also the extent of diabetes manifestations. And as such, um, I think it's too difficult to capture it uh, outside of truly uh, predictive protocols in these type of analyses. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Okay. So the only other thing I would like to say is that within litmus, we actually did CK18, and we have that on a fairly large uh, data set. And within that analysis, it actually comes up for steatosis and fibrosis, which, you know, CK18, there's, there's been a lot of uh, discussion uh, about it. Uh, I think there's been some variabilities. If you look at the older tests, more recently, more robust, there's uh, the MAC3 score, which uses it. And so it comes up every once in a while again. If you look at it as a single marker, I think it's a little volatile. But here in this analysis uh, within litmus, uh, Jenny sees it again. So it'll be interesting to learn how they put that in there. That should be fascinating. In fact, a lot of what I found most interesting in this program were not necessarily the original research, although some of that was pretty good, but the kinds of thing going back and looking at some of the very large data sets and being able to glean detail that you really couldn't if you didn't have that kind of data set to look at. So I think that and several other papers like that should be fascinating. And thanks for starting there. Who wants to go next? Louise Campbell. I can jump in next with one. My pick or one of my early picks is going to be out on Friday and it's presented by Roberta Falano and the team at Imperial. I suppose this is a special one because it was one of the protocols that I got to have a look at before we started doing this one, before I left Imperial. And it's a clinical and economic evaluation of community-based preventative screening strategies for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in people with type 2 diabetes mellitus. This was interesting because they were serial fibre scanning patients in a a diabetic centre. And we don't know the exact prevalence, so that's what they were set out to locate. So they aimed really to determine the prevalence and develop a risk stratification and cost analysis for the screening policy in type 2 diabetics in primary care. And we discuss a lot about primary care. And I know Marsden's done some work on the cost effectivity. So this again was to sort of, was it going to support what we discuss? So they consecutively recruited patients who then went under blood tests, ultrasound and liver stiffness by fibro scan. And they defined anything over 8.1 as significant liver stiffness and 12.1 with a diagnosis of cirrhosis. So um, they then included three health states in a Markov model. Um, so no NAFLD, NAFLD with liver stiffness of less than eight kilopascals and significant liver stiffness and uh, cirrhosis. And they looked at the probability of the uh, progressing. So I think they also did a cost-effective analysis with a threshold set of £20,000 English pounds as gained by NICE. So they recruited 300 patients, 287 were included, 13 withdrew, 73% had NAFLD and 28% other causes of liver disease. But it was the levels of fibrosis and advanced fibrosis that were important in this. So advanced fibrosis due to NAFLD, 17% of that population and 11% had advanced fibrosis. So 70% had significant, 11% had advanced, but the prevalence of cirrhosis in that population was 3%. So these are significant numbers from my perspective with patients with type 2 diabetes. Remind me again how cirrhosis was defined. Um, cirrhosis was defined here as a fibro scan of over 12.1 kilopascals. With clinical, histological or radiological Markov model included three health 
health states. So no NAFLD, NAFLD with liver stiffness less and significant liver disease above 8.1 kilopascals and compensated cirrhosis. So there was other histological markers. So I, I mean, I would challenge that. If all they did to define cirrhosis was a KPA greater than 12 and they only found 3% of... No, the diagnosis of cirrhosis was clinical, histological or radiological. So they did biopsy a lot of these patients. But it was or. There was or there. It wasn't and. If it were or, that means they could be the diagnosis at a KPA of greater than 12 all by itself. Am I misunderstanding? Um, no, that appears to be okay. the case. So if that's the case, at least in my hands, that if I applied those same criteria, 50% of my clinic would be cirrhotic, maybe more. People have to wrap their brain around the fact that FibroScan positive predictive value is incredibly low, particularly if you're studying a general population or a diabetic population. You know, you're not studying a transplant population where we know the underlying degree of fibrosis is significant. Now, this is why we came up with FAST. This is why there's there there's Agile 3 Plus, there's Agile 4. This is why the ACE guidelines, the AGA guidelines, the easel guidelines incorporate sequential non-invasive tests where you start with, say, a biomarker like FIB4 and you chase it with FibroScan. And maybe that's why it's a poster and not an oral, but I don't know. I don't want to throw water on your, your abstract or on the authors that created it, but I just find that maybe a limitation of the study. I absolutely agree. There isn't any definition in the study as to how many of those patients were biopsied. It just gives one of those three as the right. reason for defining cirrhosis. Yeah. So it would be now having personal insight and having seen that study start, a lot of those patients came in for biopsy is my understanding, but I couldn't tell you exactly how many went further for that. But they were, and I suppose what they're trying to do is a real world model of what might happen. So even by def definitions by that, and I suppose you could argue that FibroScan should pick up a higher percentage of cirrhosis potentially than 3%, given that probably a 12.1 cutoff will mean that maybe only one in 10 actually has cirrhosis. The other nine won't at that length, at that lower cutoff, higher cutoff, probably a lot more. But I think what it went on to show was the best way of defining and working out the cost effectivity, all of the measures, whether they use BIMAS, so BMI and AA, ST and FibroScan, but all of the measurements were cost effective. And I think that for me is the outcome, is that the way that we look at being able to subpopulate a diabetes population, there's an argument that we shouldn't do it because of the cost. Actually, all of these sort of stratifications proved highly cost effective with FibroScan and Biomasters, the two combined together that they worked out for their study did. It's been four years, I suppose, or three years, and a, and a pandemic in the way. So it's nice to see some data coming out for it. And this population is paired in another poster looking at gut permeability, which is an interesting one as well. So they've used the same population for a couple of things from what I can tell. It was just nice to see it come out after all of these years. And yeah, no, duly noted in the context that I can't tell you from the data that's given in the abstract how many patients were biopsied, those if any, on that one. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with three episodes, a pre-easel episode on Monday and same-day recordings both Friday and Saturday. Please join us for all of them. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.